go. You can clap a little bit if you feel like the spirit moves you. This ain't a museum, it's a church. We can live a little bit in here, all right? Welcome, uh, those of you who are visiting with us or joining us online, those of you who've been here a long time, uh, we're all glad that you are here. My name's Steve Cunningham. I get to be the lead pastor here at Wellhouse, and I'm so excited about that. I'm really excited to be a part of a church that doesn't just meet on Sundays, all right? That we're bigger than just a couple of hours on one day a week, but that we get to live out our faith every single day, every single hour. Um, and this season is just an opportunity to do one of those things. Uh, so starting today, we're going to be investing in this hope for the holidays. And many of you have already given to that. You've already signed up. You know, some of you are gifted rappers. Um, whether spitting lyrics or folding paper. Either way, I'm, I've heard both. So some of you will get that later on when you drive home tonight. Others of you won't get it at all. That's okay. <laughs> uh, it's a big joke in my family. I cannot rap at all. I even buy the wrapping paper that comes with the lines. It's supposed to help you. It still looks like a toddler did it. I can't figure it out. So I did not sign up for that, but some of you are delivering. Some of you are shopping. Um, some of you are praying. Some of you are just hanging on right now. And if that's you, we're glad you're here. This is a church for everyone, no matter where you're at right now. And we hope that you see a part of, of your story in this picture that God paints in the Bible. This, this redeeming God who continues to save over and over and over again. And in fact, that's why we started this message series last week called Christmas Lights and Family Fights, because we recognize that sometimes, though, though things can be really good, seemingly on the outside, right, that, that all the ornaments are up, that all the Christmas decorations are out, that it's the season of joy and the, and the season of lights and all those things that sometimes inside can be at best, sometimes a little bit hectic, right? A little stress, a little, a little much. And then other times, it can be downright painful. And so last week, we started this series by looking at this crazy story in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 38, a story with uh, Judah and Tamar. And we ended this story talking about this point that dysfunction can be passed down. We know this, right? Some of you, you're, you're a living testimony, right? Your, your parents are a living testimony. Your grandparents are a living testimony that dysfunction can be passed down. But the story of Judah and Tamar also teaches us that redemption can be passed down as well. And for some of you, that's exactly what you need to hear. Today, we're going to be, if you have your Bible, you can open up, go ahead and open up to the book of Ruth. We're going to get there in just a minute. I want to tell you a quick story before we do. I'm just going to be really, can I be really honest with you guys? You won't tell anybody, will you? If I'm just, there you go. All right. <laughs> Those of you watching online, I guess I'm going to trust you. Um, I've never really felt like I fit in in life. Now, I don't say that to say afterwards, a sermon, you come up to me and say, oh, Steve, you're great. I don't want to hear that. I'm just telling you that in my life, I've always felt like I wish I were better. 
I wish I were smarter. I wish I were more thoughtful-er. I wish I were a better husband, a better father. Right? I always thought, well, I'm, I'm okay, I'm average, but I wish I were-er. Smarter, faster, better, more equipped. I wish I had the er on top of almost everything you could put the er on top of because in my mind, I've never really felt like I've just completely measured up. And the truth is that I know I'm not alone in that. That there are some of you in this room today who that er plagues every single day. And some of that er comes from your family. When you were little, you were told, now why can't you be more like? If you would just, if you, if you were like your older brother or your older sister, if you'd be a little bit more like, now why don't you be more thoughtful, caring, cleaner, a better student? And so you've lived your life in the errs. As some of you, that's just a mental inside. You continue to tell yourself that over and over again. And for some of you, there's a different type. And some of you, it's not the internal struggle. It's the external struggle. You've gone through some things. You've gone through some hardships. You've gone through a divorce. You've gone through bankruptcy. You've gone through the death of a loved one. And all of a sudden, it's not the errs internally. It's the errs externally. It's the you don't fit in. Nobody's maybe ever told you that, or maybe they have. But all of a sudden, you see the picture of what your life should have looked like. And then you grab that one piece, that one piece of the puzzle, and it just doesn't seem to fit. And that seems to identify your life. It's like, I just don't fit in. And maybe it's with your family. It's like everybody seems to get it, and you're kind of looking there saying, What's up with this? Why do we do this? What's okay with this? Maybe certain circumstances in your life put you in a place where you just don't fit in. If you can identify with those two different kinds of struggles, then I tell you, you can identify with the story that we're going to read today. It actually starts, where we're going to start is Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. I'm just going to read it to you. You don't have to flip over there if you don't want to. But this is what it says. It's the genealogy of Jesus. It's Matthew's way of leading us up to the birth of Christ, telling us how Christ came to be. And this is just kind of smack dab in the middle of it. It says this, Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. You can stop right there. There's a story in and of itself right there. But we're not going to dive into that one today is Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse and so on and so on. You're thinking, all right, those are a lot of names, weird names. I don't know why we're reading those. But today we're going to turn and look at this story of a husband and wife who maybe didn't fit in, who maybe their internal struggle was the er. I wish I were different, or <laughs> I wish I were better. Maybe their, uh, their internal struggle was also an external struggle. I don't fit in. 
There's too much that's happened. And clearly I'm different than everybody else. And I don't know if my puzzle piece is ever going to align like everybody else's puzzle piece. That takes us to this story of Ruth. It's found in the Old Testament. It's this amazing story. Here's how it begins in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when judges ruled, just kind of take a time out, a stop right there. This is an interesting setup for this whole story. It tells us what's going on at the time. There was a a point in time where there was no kings in in all of Israel. These were God's people. And in Genesis chapter 12, what we learn is that God reaches down and he begins this conversation with this guy named Abram. And he says, listen, Abram, out of you, I'm going to bless all nations. I'm going to make all nations great because of you. And we're going to have a covenant together. And I'm going to fulfill my promise to you. And through Abraham, he leads him and and he guides him and they they go through all kinds of crazy stuff together. And and in fact, a part of that is being led into, into captivity for nearly 400 years in Egypt. But God is faithful in his promise and he finally delivers them from the hands of the Egyptians into this promised land. He gives them all this domain and things are going really well. And what eventually happens is as they continue to grow and as they continue to build and as they continue to get bigger and bigger, what do they want? They want more. Because we never are satisfied with what we have. Isn't that true? So the nation of Israel looks around. They say, listen, every other nation has a king. We want a king. So they're given a king. And we find, right, that that's not enough. And there's this time where there's these judges, right? These people that really kind of, the judges, maybe not the best term for it. But it's these people that rise up and try to help Israel lead them back in a relationship with God. It's ongoing. It's a horrible, really, story where you see this nation of Israel try to fulfill what their obligation is to God. That they, they try to live right with him. But they always fail. It might as well be called the story of Steve's life, right? Or Steve's like, all right, things are going well. And then all of a sudden, the bottom falls out. Things are going well, and the bottom falls out. You've been there before? We're told that this story happens when the judges ruled. And when the judges ruled, it was this, it was this time of tumultuous relationship between the Israelites and God. It was this time where it was either a blessing or a curse. It was this time where God had to keep intervening and saying, listen, I need to get you on the right path. And just like a loving father does sometimes, listen, I'm gonna have to discipline you in order to help you see that the path you're on isn't wise. So what we read in the rest of the story, in fact, what it says just before this, in the end of Judges, it says, that they were, there was no day, uh, there was days in Israel that they had no king and everyone did as he saw fit. You and I have lived days like that, right? Where everybody did as they saw fit. Maybe it's that you lived in the day where you did as you saw fit. And now you sit here today. And some of the things that you did as you saw fit are some of the biggest regrets of your life. And that's going to be the story. 
of Ruth. Ruth chapter one, in the days when judges ruled and there was a famine in the land, this famine is, is really an essence of God. God is trying to correct them again. They've, they've gone off the path. They've stopped following God. They've, they've turned all to their own ways. And so God is trying to correct them and get them in a right relationship with him. There's this famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and his two sons, they went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Stop right there for just a moment. Again, we've hardly gotten into this, but there's so much context right here in just a few short verses. There's a famine in the land. And God is trying to correct them a little bit. So, so he, there's a famine and, and everybody's kind of wondering, all right, what do we do and how do we survive this? And they haven't quite yet turned back to God. And so they turn instead to Moab. And what we know from Moab is that the, the story is really just as convoluted as, as last week's. This guy, Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, we just talked about him. His nephew is a guy named Lot. And as Abraham wanders through and is trying to be faithful to God, we read the story of Lot. and Eventually, Lot goes off on his own, and, and he's trying to be faithful. In fact, God spares his life and spares his family all but his wife. And they're off together, and Lot has a couple of daughters, but that's about it. Everybody else has been wiped out. His daughters see, man, listen, we're, we're not going to survive this. There's nobody else to carry on the name. And so they decide, the two daughters amongst them, that they're going to get dad drunk. They're going to sleep with dad so the family name can pass on. It's a messed up story, I told you. The oldest son from which the Moabites come. So the nation of Israel sees this. And they say, listen, there's nothing good that can come from this. In fact, the Moabites begin to descend into depths of really hating God. They begin to worship this God, Kamash. And eventually over time, they have this really, really tumultuous relationship with the nation of Israel where they begin to attack them and they eventually conquer them under King Eglon. And for 18 years, the Moabites uh, attack and then have the nation of Israel serve under them. Now, you can only imagine what kind of relationship this is at this point between the Moabites and the Israelites. It finally gets to the point in Deuteronomy chapter 23 where we read that the whole uh, nation of, of Moab is banned from the assembly of all those who love God. They can't even come close, right? They're, they're, they're not, they're not going to be in any kind of community with God's people. This is the relationship with Moab. So imagine now, go back to the story of Ruth, where everybody's living their own way, right? And famine hits, and this guy, Elimelech, decides, listen, I don't know what, I don't know what the next turn is, but I think my best choice is to go to Moab. It's to go to the Moabites. It's to go to the people who, who conquered us, who hate us, who don't believe like us, and who we can't even uh, be in a relationship with. When I thought about that this week, this question kept coming to my mind. Where do you run when things begin to fall apart? 
You know, when things don't seem to go right, when, when, when all the internal stuff or all the external stuff begins to kind of cram around you and your life begins to kind of seem uneasy or unsteady or all those things, where, where do you run to? For some, I think we run to our own selfishness. Maybe it's to alcohol or pornography. Maybe it's to the arms of another person that's not our spouse. Maybe it's into our own uh, desires and, and we just immerse ourselves into those things. The question is not for me to answer, but for you. Where do you run when things begin to fall apart? Elimelech decides that he's going to run to Moab. Keep reading on here. This is what it says. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahalon and Kilion. And they were Epaphrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. And they went on to Moab to live there. It starts off small, but we, we wind up reading later on in the story. In verse, chapter, or, uh, verse four, it says this. Let's read three first. Now Elimelech... Naomi's husband died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. Stop right there for a minute. What seemed like they were going off for just a short time, just to escape a famine, turned into a decade. How many of you, you, you ran off for something for just a little bit, right? And all of a sudden it turned into a lifestyle. See, here's the thing. What starts off as an escape can wind up holding you captive. Let me be honest with you, church. Some of you are there right now. You're captive by your thoughts. You're captive by the way you see yourself. And in fact, some of you, it goes all the way back to your early childhood memories. You're captive. And you don't know how to break out of the way in which your dad saw you or your mom saw you or the way in which they weren't around. You're, you're still captive to those early relationships, those early boyfriends or girlfriends who told you lies and spoke into you. And all of a sudden you, you just hung on to that. And now it just continually creeps up. You're, you're held captive by early marriages. You're held captive by early church experiences. And it just hangs on. And so it's a reminder that what starts off as an escape can wind up holding you captive. And here we find this story of Naomi and her husband and they run off to Moab and they decide, all right, listen, at least we're gonna be able to eat there. At least life is gonna be a little bit better. But Naomi quickly discovers that life isn't gonna be better. Her husband dies. Her sons marry off to Moabite women, which is a complete disgrace. And then they die. She's left a widow, childless, in a foreign country. And all of a sudden, she's captive. Life gets hard for her. 
She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. She's lost her identity. She's in a foreign land. And she looks around and says, listen, I think, <laughs> I don't even know what to do. I, I hear that there's some, there's some opportunity back home and, and God is providing again for us. And maybe I want to go back. So the story continues on and she says, it says that she looks at her daughter-in-laws and says, listen, I, I, you need to stay here. Go back and marry again and I'm going to go back home and we'll just part ways. And for a time, both daughter-in-law said, no, 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 we're going to stay with you. But eventually, Orpah says, you know, I'm, I'm going to stay here. But Ruth says, no, 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 I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to stay with you to the bitter end. Your guy's going to be my God. Your people's going to be my people. And not even death is going to separate us. It's this beautiful story. Finally, Naomi relents and says, all right, Ruth, let's go back home. So they return back home. And as they return back home, we read this really interesting story. It picks up again in chapter 1, verse 19. This is what it says. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. This is the place that they left before. This is their hometown. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? A lot changed in 10 years. A lot was different. Naomi was no longer married. Naomi no longer had two young sons. And in fact, Naomi came back a broken woman. She sees this stirring about her. She, she hears everybody say, oh, you don't fit in like you used to. And so she responds in verse 20. She says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara is this word for bitter. It's a response to everything that's happened. It's like, listen, I no longer am full of life. I'm no longer full of hope. I'm no longer full of happiness. All that I have inside of me right now is bitter. I don't know if you've been there before, but it's a dark place. And my guess is that some of you can relate to Naomi. It's like, listen, at one point in time, I had hope. At one point in time, I had peace. At one point in time, things made sense. And then all of this happened. And now, I'm not really sure. She says, call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. So why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought me a, a misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite. This odd pairing in the promised land, a widow grieving her two sons, a Moabite woman, the outcast. 
not exactly the story that you thought you would read when you read the lineage of Christ. But here's what we need to remember. That while your past sometimes try to, to, to define you, it doesn't have to. Your past can refine you, but it doesn't have to define you. Maybe, maybe just maybe, not everything in your past was full of roses. In fact, maybe a parts of your past were full of hurt, shame, scorn, rejection. And maybe that's left you in the land of errs, wishing you were better. What I can tell you is that your past doesn't have to define you. It can refine you. And this is where Ruth's story picks up. Band, if you would come on back up to the stage. This story of Ruth is not done. We're barely even getting into the beginning of it. Ruth uh, begins to talk with her, her mother-in-law, the two of them together, and they're, they're basically starving. So Naomi sends her, her young daughter-in-law out, and they wind up finding out that there's a, a landowner who is actually a relative of Naomi's. Now, in this time, there was something called a kinsman redeemer. Kinsman redeemer was the next closest relative that would be responsible for taking care of the family. His name was Boaz. So as Ruth begins to meet Boaz, and Boaz, Ruth, this relationship forms. We find that, that Ruth really is, is, is trying to seek out this relationship and Boaz being this gentle, humble servant of God protects her and invites her in and takes care of her. And eventually, over time, they marry. And Ruth's story begins to change. All up until that time, Ruth's name is, aff is affiliated with Ruth the Moabite, the outcast, the one who doesn't fit in, the one who belongs over there. And now with the kinsman redeemer, she is truly redeemed. And the two have a child together. And that child is put into the arms of Naomi. And I can't help but think that those years that were away from God, those years where all was lost, the years of all kinds of pain and turmoil, the years of err, the years of don't fit in, they didn't all go away. They were still there. But Naomi felt that God was redeeming something. And through that lineage, through Ruth, the Moabite, and Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, we have this story of Jesus. See, here's the thing. What they were looking to find in this story was something that would give them value. And I think in our own story, we try to find something that will give us value. And maybe that's in someone Maybe that's in a family. Maybe that's in a relationship. Maybe that's a husband or a spouse. 
Maybe that's in your children. Maybe that's in your employment. Maybe that's something in the future. But you'll never find value in someone who is seeking their own worth. You'll never find value in someone who is seeking their own worth. The quest is to find the worth in an unchanging God who died for you long before, long before you turned to him. We have a kinsman redeemer. Somebody who will take the broken mess of what you've been living in. Some will take the past of it and turn it into something beautiful. And I know that seems far-fetched. I know that seems like rose-colored glasses. But I'm here to tell you that my life is a testament to that. That God has taken all the, the broken, hurting, messed up pieces. And there's still several more to go. But he's been getting to merge them in a way that reflects more of who he is and restores them. And I long for the day when all is restored. And I hope you do too. Would you pray with me? <coughs> Father God, we, we come to you, some of us today in the middle of a mess, in the middle of turmoil, in the middle of grief, in the, in the middle of confusion, in the middle of stress, in the middle of trying to make sense of the past few days or weeks or months or years or decades. We come to you in the middle of grief. We come to you in the middle of anger. And God, we, we admit we don't have it. <laughs> We don't have it perfect. We don't have it right. We have a lot more questions. We have answers. But we come to you because we trust that you are the kinsman redeemer. That you will do what you have done for generations and generations. That you'll take what is broken and restore it that you'll redeem that which is lost and no story, no hurt, no grief is out of your control. So God, today, would you remind us again of this story of Ruth? Through the genealogy of your son, would you, would you help us remember that you're continually redeeming this broken world, our broken world, our broken mess? shedding light through it all. Your son, Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray.